0: Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media award-winning host, Jason Creighton.
1: So much of the lead in the U.S. now is recycled, so you could do things like stable isotope analysis to match up you know, the lead that was found with the eagle to the lead that was found in the bullet, but that gets hard because you know that bullet may have been tire weights or something earlier on. So there have been a lot of studies that have um, sort of tried to, to match this up now. So it, it really is, you know, looking at camera studies with eagle scavenging carcasses, Uh, There have been some isotope studies. It really boils down to, you know, it looks like it's ammunition as the primary cause.
0: Welcome back to the Conservation Unfiltered Podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 126, Lead Toxicity in Eagles. This week I'm going to be talking with Dr. Kristen Schuler about the impact of lead toxicity in eagles and other scavenging birds. Dr. Schuler is the co-director of the Cornell Wildlife Health Lab and a former Pennsylvania native, so we have that going for us. During the conversation, we're going to learn how scavenging birds are exposed to lead, the side effects of lead poisoning, and if lead toxicity is causing a population-wide impact with eagles. Dr. Schuller will also detail ways to reduce our contribution to lead poisoning and why hunting with lead has been banned before. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, today, I have Dr. Kristen Schuler, as you heard uh, in the intro, and we're going to be talking about lead toxicity, especially in eagles. So Kristen how are you doing today? I'm doing well how are you? Um, I'm wonderful. Uh, I wish this was a little bit better topic uh, but I think yeah I guess a little more positive topic but I think that it's something that's important to discuss and it's something especially in the hunting world that has gotten a lot of sort of traction and, and has been a pretty hot topic debate about you know what is the cause and, and is it an issue type thing for lead toxicity with bald eagles? So, um, well, I wish it was a little bit more of a, a positive spin on this again, like I said, I think it's important to have this discussion.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, this has been something that has been a hot topic for me working in wildlife health for, for decades now. And some people warn you away from it and say, you know, it's the third rail of wildlife health and just you know don't even touch it. But, um, it's an important topic. And I, I think that, you know, bringing data to it and and solutions is a better way to go than just avoiding it or, or having people get angry and shake their fists about it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, let's just, I guess, let's get a little bit of a definition here. Like when we, when we see in the news or articles or studies and it's mentioning lead toxicity and eagles, like what, what does that mean?
1: Sure. So, uh, typically what happens is that an eagle is exposed to lead through ingestion. And so we can talk a, a little bit about uh, you know, how that happens, but the levels that they get exposed to once uh, they're impaired enough that they might come in you know, to a rehab facility and the lead levels actually get measured. Uh, there are, are established cutoffs for the levels that would um, cause an eagle to die, you know, if, it, it, if it's above, you know, what is it, I think it's like 20 parts per million. If you find that in the liver, then that's considered a toxic dose. Uh, we have challenges sometimes because the eagles might have a level of lead in their, their system and we can test all sorts of different tissues, you know, the, the bone, the, the kidneys, the liver, the blood, um, And each one of those tissues is a little bit different, which, you know, level is toxic to them. So we talk about it, uh, you know, levels that are high enough to cause mortality and then levels that are detectable, but we don't know, you know, what it's actually doing to that animal because we don't know when it got exposed and we don't know what the actual dose was. So there's sort of, you know, we know that a lot of eagles get exposed to lead. How many actually die from it is a little bit harder to to pin down
0: and, and i'm assuming if you're talking about uh testing lead levels in the liver these tests are going to be done on birds that have already died correct
1: mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's why we have to test a variety of tissues because you know in live birds you want to test blood and then uh, if the bird's dead you can't use blood anymore so that's when you have to go to the liver or the kidney or the bones and and sometimes you know these birds are you know, pretty rotten by the time we get a hold of them. So that's why you have to have a variety of different options and then be able to compare against those different tissues.
0: So let's, let's just sort of jump ahead real quick and say that uh, an eagle has ingested lead um, and, you know, it's going to affect the bird in, in multiple ways, I'm sure. Like what are some of the sort of symptoms or signs that someone might see that they could say uh, that, that looks like, a lead exposure?
1: Sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, they're not, you know, if you see a, a bald eagle on the ground that you can walk up to and capture, that's a pretty good indication that bird is not quite right. Uh, so that's the first one that, you know, uh, a member of the public or a hunter would see that this bird isn't isn't flying away, isn't afraid of them. Uh, but other things that are, are sort of more subtle are that it might have sort of its head tilted. And that's called stargazing a lot. So it might have its head sort of thrown at, uh, like thrown on its back. It might appear to be blind. Um, And also, what we see a lot with lead poisoning in, um, you know, all bird species is that they might have green staining around their vent. So, um, and the reason that happens is because uh, lead can paralyze their gastrointestinal tract, so they can't really digest food anymore. And so that staining is actually bile because that's like the only thing coming out of them anymore is, is the bile. Um, and so you'll, if you feel their body, um, it's called a razor keel where all the breast muscles have been uh, atrophied because they're not able to, to feed themselves. So they, you know, they lose that muscle tone. And so just the, the sternum sticking out from the muscles at that point.
0: Is it, I, I know like when, as, so, as, a, as a new father, uh, one of the things is you got to, that I was told, you know, got to make sure there's no lead for the baby to get into, right? Uh, lead paint chips, all kinds of different stuff like that. Um, and it seems like the majority of the issue is sort of neurological issues that can crop up. Is it the same thing? Is that what sort of causing that stargazing um, yep. and the blindness?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, same sort of thing. Lead is a toxin to all living things, whether you're an earthworm or, you know, a whale. Uh, so it uh, binds to different receptors in the body and actually gets uh, stored in the bones. So it causes neurologic impairment. Um, it interferes with the reproductive system and all basically all the systems in the body. And uh, it can be remobilized out of the bone in certain situations. So it, it really doesn't leave the body. Um, you know, it, it gets taken into it and sort of stored away. So it might not be actively circulating in the blood, but, um, you know, it's it's really hard for the body to eliminate it.
0: Wow. Uh, so that sounds absolutely terrible. Uh, we talked uh, in the before we started recording uh, and, and both sort of, you know, how many bald eagles there are in the lower 48, uh, got it. I really feel like we really want to make sure we excluded Alaska because when I was there, uh, the residents of Alaska, uh, basically call them garbage birds because there's just so many of them, uh, in Alaska. So really with that lower 48, I mean, obviously I feel like everyone, knows uh, that at one point, the bald eagle had extremely low numbers in the lower 48. And we have brought them back to as as we talked about over 300,000 birds uh, in the lower 38, which is an amazing recovery story. Um, Is this lead is lead toxicity? Is it some getting to the point where we're starting to think we're having population level impacts?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think that is the case, and I can describe that in a little bit more. I pulled up some more numbers for you. So, in uh, 1963, there were only 417 nesting pairs, and in 2019, there were over 71,000. So, there's definitely a lot more birds out there. Um, and like you said, the the population has recovered, and in really, bald eagles are the, the success story for the Endangered Species Act, that they were protected um, through the, the Bald Eagle and Golden Eagle uh, Acts and the Migratory Bird Acts. And so they've really come back and and their populations are, are much higher than, um, than previous decades, which is wonderful. But what we figured out with lead poisoning wasn't that it, it was stopping the recovery, but uh, from the work we did looking at bald eagles uh, over 30 years in the Northeast US was that uh, their population was decreased by about four to 6% per year. So it wasn't that it was, you know, on an upward trajectory it was, but that trajectory would have been, you know, just four to 6% higher, if there hadn't been lead out there in the environment and well, you know, while well, that might not sound like a lot, if you think about it in terms of, you know, your financial portfolio and if your retirement was growing at four to six percent more per year, you'd probably be pretty happy about that. So it's not that it, you know, lead shut them down, but just that, you know, they they would be doing better if if lead wasn't out there. And and we actually broke it down into individual classes too, because obviously the impact on you know a, a breeding Male or female is going to be much more uh, severe on it, the population than if a, a one nestling gets killed. You know, if one breeding female gets killed, that's her ability to nest over, you know, many years and, and produce a lot of offspring. So it it does differ by who's being impacted.
0: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned you know this sort of definite success with the uh, Endangered Species Act, you know, and how they've been able to recover. I would say a uh, prime example of when everyone sort of noticed like hey this has worked uh, was whenever we got a breeding pair in the, the city limits of Pittsburgh uh, mm-hmm. there, there's a breeding pair at, at Hayes Woods which is it, it's amazing to think you know I mean Pittsburgh is is steel town right that's what it's always been known for that and smog and just really dirty areas really from industry and now it's clean enough that you can have a, a breeding pair within city limits. That's pretty amazing to me. Uh, all right. So how you mentioned that, that this really is only going to affect the Eagles if they ingest it. So how are these Eagles getting lead into their system?
1: Yeah. So there's, uh, several, um, mechanisms, you know, that humans might get it through paint chips or, or, you know, batteries or, um, eating lead contaminated game meat. For, for eagles, really, as scavengers, um, they are eating whatever they can find out there on the landscape. So if uh, a hunter happens to, to shoot a deer and isn't able to recover that, you know that's a, a really good looking meal for an eagle. Uh, same sort of thing if you field dress a deer out in the woods um, that, that the eagles will go after that. And, uh, you know, but the main thing that happens uh, when hunters are using lead ammunition, that bullet is designed to to fragment on impact to cause the most amount of damage to drop that animal quickly and have an effective kill. But with that, those uh, lead fragments might be very, very small, uh, you know, so small that you can't see them on a naked eye. But when you do an X ray, they really light up sort of like a constellation. And they might travel, um, you know, up to 15 or more centimeters away from that womb channel. So those bullet fragments, um, whether we're eating, you know, the venison that might have some of that in it, or the eagles uh, can be exposed that way. The difference is with eagles, uh, they have a really highly acidic stomach. And so that lead really leaches out quickly and gets into their bloodstream very quickly. So even if they eat you know, a fragment as small as a a grain of rice that they may be severely impacted by that.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that last part up because, you know, uh, this is something that I've looked into. And as I'm listening to you talk about, um, you know, these little pieces of bull fragments can be, as you said, up to 15 centimeters away from the wound chandel. Uh, I've I've grown up in a hunting family. I've eaten, I don't know how many pounds of venison that, yeah, while we trim away, you know, right around the immediate wound channel it's not you know it's we're not going 15 centimeters out away right like we're not taking that much meat out um i don't feel like and and my doctor would attest to that i don't have any effects of of lead toxicity uh from my system but you're saying because of the way that birds are built the way these birds are built uh internally the lead has a smaller amount of lead can have a greater impact on them than human beings.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, related to, to passage time and the ability of the organism to, to absorb lead. So different species are, are affected differently. And, you know, I'm not a human health uh, doctor, so I won't go into to too much of that. But the CDC does say that, you know, no levels of lead are safe and it's particularly problematic. I'm sure, as you are aware, having a, a young child and, you know, previously pregnant wife, uh, that you know you want to be careful about uh, their potential consumption of lead. So, uh, with the eagles getting, you know, exposure through ammunition fragments, it, um, there's other species out there that are likely also being exposed. The thing is that we don't have good data on those animals. You know, everybody pays attention to bald eagles. Um, You know, if you see a bald eagle, that's a thing. But if you see, you know, uh, a fox or some other scavenger laying around, you might not take as much interest in it, especially if it's sort of half rotten. And um, so we're trying now to look at some other species to see what kind of lead exposure they may have just because we don't really have the data on it. So we're trying to, to do that. We've got some uh, fishers that we've looked at their livers so far and, and we found a lot of exposure to lead that was much, uh, a much higher percentage than I had expected. So it looks like, you know, it's not just bald eagles but anything sort of scavenging carcasses and gut piles that could be exposed to this. And then the degree to impairment really depends on that species.
0: So, you know, a lot of the blame seems to be put on hunters using lead ammunition, but there's other sources of of lead contamination in our environment, right? Um, from, uh, you know, sinkers for fishermen, you know, to even just industrial waste and things of that nature, you know, your neighbor throwing their old car battery uh, out into, you know, your their back 40. Uh, are there have we been able to come up with like percentages for what causes the lead toxicity or is it just sort of assumed that due to the scavenging nature that the lead ammunition is more than likely the main cause?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And it it's tricky because so much of the lead In the U.S. now is recycled. So you could do things like stable isotope analysis to match up, you know, the lead that was found with the eagle to the lead that was found in the bullet. But that gets hard because, you know, that bullet may have been tire weights or something earlier on. So there have been a lot of studies that have um, sort of tried to to match this up now. So it, it really is, you know, looking at camera studies with eagle scavenging carcasses, Uh, there have been some isotope studies, it really boils down to, you know, it looks like it's ammunition as the primary cause. And, you know, there's no, at least for, for eagles, there's no real reason why they would be, you know, eating a battery that has, has leached some lead. You know, it's not an attractive nuisance that an eagle would go after, like, you know, a fresh pile of guts would be. So, I think with that, it, 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 it's not necessarily, um, you said, you know, hunters get blamed. I think this is more about education because it, it's been such a cultural thing. I mean, I grew up eating venison too, for, you know, most of my meals. Um, and it's not that, you know, we, we shouldn't be hunting or, or this is a problem. I think it's um, knowing that, that there is an issue and what you decide, you know, as your conservation ethic. You know, if for me, uh, I, I hunt and I have decided that if I shoot one bullet, I wanted to kill one animal, I don't want to leave anything out there that might kill other animals that I did not intend to kill so letting hunters know that this is an issue and having them make, have the ability to make that choice about what they want to use in their firearm. I mean, my husband was thrilled when I was like, listen, I want to get a new rifle. We're only going to shoot copper out of it. Like he was like, okay, I am on board. So, um, you know, that might just be a tactic that you want to use (laughs) to get another firearm. But anyway, uh, you know, it's, it's really about bringing awareness to the problem and, um, you know, hunters are the original conservationists. So we want to make sure that they they know about it in a very um, sort of not inflammatory way, you know, that, that nobody's, you know, laying blame here or or saying you should stop hunting or doing anything of that, that, Hey, there's this issue. And did you know about it?
0: So from the way you just phrased all that, should I, would you be behind uh, an actual governmental ban of lead ammunition Uh, i don't i don't mean to put you on the spot right um but i mean no it's the reason why yeah the reason why i bring it up is because there's already been a lead ban right in the (laughs) united states uh lead shot back in 1991 for waterfowl uh that was you know and which i mean at the time there were a lot of people that did not like a lot of hunters that did not like this quote unquote, government, governmental overreach, right? Um, But when you sort of take a step back, and you look at like, that makes sense. Because if I'm, if I'm shooting at a duck or a goose or whatever is flying by, they like water. So I'm going to be hunting over water, whether I hit that, that duck or goose or not, there's going to be some lead shot that goes into the water that can then leach into the water, right? So we already, as you know, as a country decided to ban lead shot now steel shot it can only be used so it has been done before so should we do it now
1: well you know that um is a a super controversial thing and california already did it for their state right now i having talked to hunters and you know we're we're doing interviews with hunter ed instructors and and trying to see what the level of education is out there and I really feel like we need to do more education before going to that level. You know, okay, maybe maybe we say, okay, for however many years, we're really going to try to get out to hunters and let them know about this issue, and and try to make it a voluntary change. Um, and I'm hopeful, I'm very hopeful that hunters will see the problem and and make the changes themselves, so the regulation would be unnecessary. I think what we have in our country right now with the ammunition shortages and you know some of the laws that make it very difficult for hunters to get ammunition i mean i live in new york and i can't order ammunition off the internet so it it just makes it hard and that you know piling on another regulation on top of that isn't going to make people any happier or want to comply so if people can sort of and there's the other issue, you know, sort of the chicken and the egg. Like, if manufacturers don't have enough non-lead ammunition to meet demand, you know, how do you then regulate that that they must? And it takes them a while to switch over. You know, they need new machinery to to create non-lead ammunition versus what they do with lead. So, um, you know, you kind of need that demand to push them, but then you also need to have the supply to to be able to meet that demand. So it's Um, a bit of a challenging time. So I don't, I don't think that right now would be the best for implementing, you know, widespread regulation. Um, I'm hopeful that the conservation communities will step up and, and sort of do this themselves, you know, um, that we can start to see meaningful changes internally without having to have, you know, regulations to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, right? You don't have to make, uh, you know, regulation banning lead because the majority or all of the hunters decide we're just going to not use it, right? And if no one's buying it, uh, or and or no one's using it, then uh, you know the manufacturers are going to change, and you know they want to make money, so they're going to they're going to make what the customer demands. Uh, so yeah, that would be, I guess, in the ideal world, the the way to go. Um, you know, I, I th- this is a conversation that uh, I've been privy to, right? Like I've been aware of for a number of years and um, I decided when I bought a new rifle, uh, my last rifle, a couple of years ago, uh, I decided that I was going to uh, choose a non-lead bullet to shoot out of it. Um, you know, it, Copper or non-lead bullets have been out on the market for decades now. Uh, unfortunately, in the beginning, they weren't reliable. They, they weren't. Uh, they were extremely expensive. Um, I will say that you know, purchasing non-lead ammunition is more expensive, uh, but it's not cost prohibitive for me personally. Uh, so I decided to make that choice myself, just by seeing what kind of impact, as you said, you know, you you would like to only kill one animal whenever you go hunt you don't want to have that you know those extra uh animals be harmed and i felt the same way and i have to say i'm happy with the choice that i made because the the modern copper bullets are uh they perform well they're not you know crazy crazy expensive um and to be honest, uh, I feel a little bit better about myself because I know that what's left in the environment's you know, not going to be toxic uh, to other animals and, and birds and things of that nature. So, I mean, it, it, when we're trying to reduce this lead, I mean, is that really the only option, the, the really the only thing that we're, that hunters have is just buy copper bullets instead of lead? Uh,
1: no, actually, I mean, I, I agree with you about like the just superior ballistics and, and everything. So I, I did sort of the same thing where I was super happy with how uh, the copper ammunition was performing. And, you know, we've seen demonstrations. I, I helped put on a demonstration with the North American Non-Led Partnership where we were shooting into uh, ballistic gels, which was really cool um, and, you know, seeing the fragmentation and just, you know, how these new bullets you know these new non-lead bullets perform is great but you know if you have a supply of you know lead ammunition or you have an older firearm that you know you just can't get non-lead for don't want to use it for whatever reason there's other things that you can do so i mean mainly it's leaving the lead behind in the environment is the problem so you know ideally like nobody wants to to not recover an animal that they shoot, that's you know sort of step one: take good shots so that you're not, um, you know, lessening your probability of getting that carcass back. Uh, you can do things like burying the gut pile uh, so the lead isn't up on the surface for you know scavengers to get a hold of. If you can't bury it, it's not ideal, but you could potentially pack it out, you know, depending on, on where you are. Uh, there's even some programs in sort of sensitive areas where uh, species like the California condor exists where people would go out and get your gut pile. You know, they have an ATV and would go and get it. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of programs out there that where people are trying to be creative with, um, you know, doing trades for non lead ammunition with hunters to, to let them try out uh, the the ammo and see you know how it performs it does sometimes take it trying a couple of different bullets to to see which ones work best but you know if you get together with a couple of buddies and and try things out I mean I swapped some bullets with a, a co-worker of mine to see which ones work best for my firearm and so that you know makes it kind of fun to go to the range and, and try things out but it's really about just getting that that carcass off the landscape so even if you're you know hunting coyotes or something and you you take the the hide and your, the carcass is left behind, you know, don't put it in the, you know, so it ends up in the landfill. Don't just throw it out there um, where anything can get to it. So it's not just uh, an all or nothing, you know, must use non-lead ammo or, or there's no other options. There definitely are options and it, it really just takes the hunter thinking about what he or she's doing and how they they might be able to mitigate that.
0: So if, if anyone's interested in learning more uh, or trying to decide for themselves whether they want to uh, switch to a non-lead ammunition, uh, where, where could they go? What could they uh, search for to be able to find more info?
1: Uh, well, I, I mentioned the North American non-lead partnership already. And uh, I think state agencies are, are trying to get better information out about that so um yeah it's still it's still uh limited there is another oh shoot I'm blanking on the website there's another good you know you can basically type you know hunting with non-lead ammunition into google and, and a bunch of different resources will come up so I'm probably not the best authority on that but I know they exist out there
0: Well, Kristen, thank you for coming on and talking about this uh, very important issue, as I'm sure everyone who's ever seen a bald eagle, uh, especially in an area that you didn't necessarily expect to see one, uh, it's exciting. So to be able to think that there could be uh, even more, uh, I think this makes uh, a very timely and uh, important discussion to have. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it.
0: Once again, that will do it for today's episode. I want to thank Dr. Schuller for joining us. I want to thank you for listening. If there's anything for you to take away from this conversation, is that I hope you think about your contribution to lead in the environment. There's a lot of different ways that lead can get into the environment, but the real big thing that we're sort of thinking about in this context is Lead shot and lead bullets. I did not realize that fragments from a lead bullet can be found up to thirty millimeters away from the wound channel. Uh, You know, as I said in the episode, my family we've always cut away you know that damaged meat uh, around the wound channel. But thirty millimeters is a long way away. Uh, So it's definitely something to consider and to think about what you're using uh when hunting. Me personally, I've already made that switch to copper bullets in the uh weapon of choice for me uh for deer hunting. Uh as you heard in the conversation, you know Dr. Schuler has done the same thing. Uh I already have made that switch uh, away from lead shot when it comes to turkeys, uh, and I am inching ever so closer to eliminating lead shot from my upland game birds as well. Game bird hunting as well, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing that that I hope this does. This episode does is highlight the need for it, and to get more people to make the conscious decision on their own to reduce their their lead bullet and shot usage uh, the last thing that dr Schuler wants to see the last thing i want to see the last thing any of us want to see is a full-on governmental ban yes it's happened before uh, and for good reason and this would be another good reason but if we as consumers can showcase the need for non-lead shot and non-lead bullets to the manufacturers they are naturally going to make that switch and you know i can say that while i'm paying you know a little bit more for the copper bullets uh the more that they produce the more that they sell that cost is going to come down you know it's not going to be as dramatic of an increase so i hope that you all will join me in this uh transition from lead projectiles to uh non-lead projectiles but if you're not ready for that yet i completely understand this was more of a FYI and give you some information uh, to be able to make that decision on your own. N- until next episode, get outside, take someone with you, and stay wild.